George Stark, Cabot Oil and Gas. Bill DeRosier, Cabot Oil and Gas. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us here today. Cabot Oil and Gas. Where are you guys located? And uh, George, why don't you go ahead and take that one? I'll just I'll just go ahead and pick, pick you know randomly somebody to start the interview off. George, go ahead. Yes, sir. So Cabot's headquarters are in Houston, Texas, but today we're coming to you from Pennsylvania. My office is I'm in the Pittsburgh office where about a hundred of us work. But overall, our operations are in Susquehanna County. Billy, take it away. Yeah, up in Susquehanna County, our operations, we have about 80, 85 people working in the field right now. And we employ hundreds, if not close to 1,000 contractors, suppliers, vendors, uh, working up here in the northeast part of the Marcellus Play, Susquehanna County. Some beautiful country. We call it the Endless Mountains up here. I've always referred to the Marcellus as Ohio, Pennsylvania, and parts of New York. Uh, what, what, what states or what region do you guys refer to the Marcellus as? I suppose even down to the Virginias, huh? No, I think you're correct. I think when you think about it, it's West Virginia, Ohio, and then Pennsylvania. The sad part is we know it bleeds into New York, but poor policy in New York has left those folks stranded without able to access their own minerals. And then Cabot, when we talk about Susquehanna County, we are right on the border of New York. Okay. So between us and Binghamton, New York, you know, less than 40 miles well, separate I us. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on because a lot of times I'll, I'll talk with Tom Shepstone of Natural Gas now. He's right there on the border as well, and he's been pretty vocal about uh, New York and some of the direction they're going, and even Pennsylvania flirting with certain areas to try to transition or get rid of uh, the oil and gas activity like New York's doing. Do you, do you guys have an update for me? I mean, he's the guy that normally gets a little bit uh, uh, opinionated. You guys are oil and gas companies, so I don't expect that out of you. But uh, since you brought it up, uh, you got an update just kind of of the political vibe and what the oil and gas acceptance rate is like up there? So if you think about it right now, here we are, February 9th, and it is a cold day out. I think the Susquehanna <laughs> temperature is probably minus two. So the answer is, the vibe is, Jason, very positive for natural gas. Because in Pennsylvania, you're, you're, what you're paying at the burner tip is an inexpensive amount. When I look at those folks in New England, they're paying three, four, five, six times what we're paying for natural gas. So the Pennsylvanians that I talk to are happy to have exploration and production, and they see it in the abundant, affordable natural gas that we produce. Billy, I think you've got a better handle on actually some of the pricing that you're seeing out there. Yeah, we certainly are. Um, and, and I hate to say I'm cliche, but uh, the, the industry, in some regards, has been its own worst enemy because of the prolific nature of the Marcellus, the Utica Shale, the Bakken in North Dakota, the Permian down in Texas. So there have been times where our pricing has been um, weak, as we like to say in the industry, or, or light. Uh, but definitely one area of the country that continues to see a disparity between the two areas is, in fact, New England and New York. And a lot of that has to do with political decisions, not um, not the prolific production of the Marcellus, you know, 20, 30, 50 miles away. But as George had alluded to, here we are 
coming off the heels of a snowstorm, prolonged cold temperatures up here in Pennsylvania. It's actually snowing right now as, as, as we're talking on this interview. Um, and we're starting to see pricing uh, expand in certain areas. So up in the Boston market area, I was looking at it earlier, uh, they're seeing anywhere between $5 and $11 per MCF. So that's the same uh, MCF, the same volume of gas that George had just mentioned. And we're seeing our gas prices somewhere in the $2.40 to $3.20 range. So you can see, as George alluded to, two, three, four times the volume uh, or the cost per, per MCF. And that's not even in a prolonged cold period if this polar vortex type weather continues we get hit with another snowstorm and our inventories of natural gas start to decline areas in new york and new england that have made poor policy decisions will see that disparity grow even further that's interesting uh i do want to ask you guys about some of the uh legislator uh, legislature activity specifically act 66 i know you guys are working on that but before we get into that since you brought up the pricing, how in New England they're paying more than what you guys are paying, and it has to do with regulations and, and even to, I wanted to ask about infrastructure. And anytime I hear about anything more than $3 when it comes to MCF with natural gas, I think of regulations and infrastructure because when we're paying $3 over here in America, in the United States, over in China, they're paying like eight, nine, ten dollars and over in Germany and in France, they're paying $15, $16. China's got to do a lot with the different regulations, but when you start getting into Europe, it has to do a lot with their old infrastructure. You know, we've got a lot of pipelines that are, are probably need to be replaced, and we've got climate activist groups that don't want new pipelines. I don't understand why the climate activists are protesting the new pipelines. They should be protesting the old ones and the old bridges and the old infrastructure that needs to be replaced. But that's just another, an, another argument for another day. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you guys have going on with infrastructure. Because you, we, before the interview, you said you guys are making your hay right now on natural gas more than oil. So with natural gas... Boy, that's all about infrastructure to keep the price down, isn't it? Well, Jason, let me just, and I'll put a, I think a fine point on this because Cabot's operations in Susquehanna County started 12 years ago. So think about this. If prior to 2000, there was no, zero, no natural gas being produced in Northeast Pennsylvania. Today, Cabot only operates in Susquehanna County and we are the nation's fourth largest producer of natural gas. So in that quick of a lifetime, we've gone to being the fourth largest, Pennsylvania's second largest producer of natural gas, and you hit upon it. It is a short drive from our operations to New England. And we had an opportunity to put in new infrastructure that the governor of New York stopped. And that, again, gets back to poor policy planning. And now they're paying four to five times what we're paying, just less than 200 miles away. And it's sad because they end up importing into the port of Boston energy for Americans from someplace else, where here we are, again, a short day drive away with the most prolific wells clean burning natural gas 
we ought to be fueling our brethren right in New England, yet the climate activists, as you said, and others have said, no, we're putting up a roadblock to new infrastructure. And it, it, it's just maddening because they want to go towards a renewable future. We support a all above natural, or I'm sorry, energy option. There's a place for wind and solar as well as nuclear and coal. But you can't rely upon one. And then when Bill and I did a, an actual survey and a, an analysis, the amount of gas that we can move in a pipeline would take all of the five boroughs in New York to be covered with solar panels. All five boroughs covered. It's ridiculous when you think about how plentiful and clean burning Cabot's natural gas is, and we can't get it into New England. And Jason, if I could just interject there, building off of what George has said, and uh, I challenge people on this all the time, natural gas is a is a partner fuel, right? And we should we should embrace it, not vilify it. But if you go on to PJM.com, that's our grid provider here in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, parts of Virginia, Maryland, uh, New Jersey are in this grid. It's one of the largest grid providers in, in the world. Um, today, as we're recording this interview here, one uh, 112,000 megawatts of power are being consumed. And of that, 4,000 megawatts is renewables, and of that 4,000, only about 1,000 is wind and 1,000 solar. So we're talking less than 1% of all the electricity we're consuming is coming from solar and wind. The yeoman's share of it's coming from gas, almost 40% of that is natural gas, coal, and nuclear in the States. And that doesn't even count people who are hooked up to use natural gas to heat their home, like my house here runs off of natural gas. So again, natural gas can't be replaced immediately, and it shouldn't be replaced immediately because it's a it's a fuel that's here, it's ready, it's being locally produced. And I'll just end with, I feel much more comfortable seeing things developed in our country using our regulations, our oversight, than seeing stuff being built around the world and or being shipped to us because you don't know how that energy source has been produced. You don't know how that product has been produced. But I know that in Pennsylvania, the natural gas that Cabot's producing is some of the most responsible, affordable, accessible, and abundant fuel sources we have available to us today. We had a news story on yesterday about uh, some legislature down in uh, New Mexico that was trying to do some banning of uh, federal lands and, and the water that, that comes from federal lands and et cetera. And, and anyway, they were doing banning and they're trying to get oil companies to use recycled water. And I brought up my issue of the banning. I don't think legislators understand oil and gas companies when they try to, when they try to dictate things. If you incentivize the oil and gas companies, now you're talking because the oil and gas companies, from my understanding, have never hid from the fact that they're in business to make money. And they're, they're, they're a bottom line business and they'll give to the softball teams and the little baseball teams that need, you know, they'll, they'll be good, responsible capitalists and give back. But at the end of the day, if they're not making any money, well, it's, it's really hard to give back. Okay. And I saw you guys have an act 66 up in the Pennsylvania legislature that I was working on that has to do with 
uh, natural gas incentivizing. I thought that was kind of neat. And so I was kind of thought that was a good juxtaposition example of how at least there's some conversations now having to incentivize oil and gas companies to do these things that they want them to do as opposed to outright banning and forcing. And do, do you guys know what I mean by that? Uh, certainly, Jason. And I think you're, you're, you're touching on a, uh, a point that we've looked at here. And, and I think uh, we can dive a little bit deeper into Act 66 was passed in the law in 2020 after about two years of navigating the legislative process here in Pennsylvania. And Act 66 was designed to incentivize the build out of petrochemical and manufacturing opportunities that use dry natural gas. Uh, and the idea is that if you're going to come here, <coughs> We're going to uh, incentivize you by coming here and, and giving you a tax credit for the use of dry natural gas produced here in Pennsylvania after you invest $400 million in building a facility and employ 800 jobs during construction or the operation of that facility. So, again, I think a lot of tax credits and programs are too frontward facing. Hey, here's the money. Go do this. And Pennsylvania took a different approach. They said, hey, we have the resources, we have the infrastructure, we have the wherewithal to attract these industries to this area. Let's get them here and let's reward them by coming here. And I guess the full circle to close out my thought here, Jason, is Pennsylvania is blessed with being an energy powerhouse for many, many years. Coal was where we were before. Now we're on to natural gas, but Pennsylvania has always had a long history of making things. Pennsylvania has been the state that made things, and now we have this opportunity to attract those industries here. So we're not beholden to, say, the Gulf Coast. We're not beholden to the Middle East or other parts of the world. There are things like fertilizers, uh, methanol, urea, ammonia, hydrogen, helium, things that we're talking about every single day that can be made here in Pennsylvania and be used either in Pennsylvania or in the country or shipped out around the world. And that's essentially what Act 66 is, is to try and get those industries to invest here. And it goes back to my earlier point. I'd much rather see those facilities built here brand new using best available technologies versus having to rely on other countries and Again, their lack of regulation, their lack of new technologies to produce these much-needed products. And I think that's only been further reinforced during COVID, as so many of these products I just mentioned are in demand because of COVID. And let me jump in there, Bill, because I think what you laid out for the last two years was critical, but it came to a head during the pandemic. Here we are. We're stuck. We can't get Clorox wipes because they're coming from overseas. But all the building blocks we have right here in Pennsylvania, and as we are known as the Keystone State, we're close to people. We've got the infrastructure, highways, rail, bridges to get product out. And I don't mean natural gas. I mean Clorox wipes, the things that you need, the PPE. So it really came together nicely to say we need to really look at reshoring, onshoring those businesses to come here because, as I mentioned, we're plentiful in natural gas. We've got the workforce. Let's incentivize those companies to come here. And again, people will have a concern about, are we building our future the wrong way? We're going to rely on plastics. During the pandemic, what did you need more of? I, every grocery store I would go to would have a plexiglass piece up between me and the cashier, the gloves. 
everything that you need comes from our building blocks. So again, this is that opportunity because what else did the pandemic wipe out? It wiped out jobs. And when the legislation was passed on Act 66, it was done in concert with the trades. The union saw this as an opportunity to build things here, again, in Pennsylvania. And oftentimes, the natural gas industry and organized labor, the trades, are on the same page because they know that building a petrochemical facility is going to employ them for years. So this is the upside. You build jobs, not just from producing the natural gas, but doing something with it. Why put it in a pipeline and send it to Canada or to the Gulf when we can do something right here in Pennsylvania that's needed? Well, two, two points, and um, I'll let either one of you grab this however you'd like. But uh, first one is the state of Washington you might want to check out this study. They did a study that uh, for refineries, and I think it was an Anadarko refinery in the state of Washington. But what they found was that for every job that was created in the refinery, it actually created 12 jobs in the community out of that refinery. So I would imagine there would be similar studies for uh, natural gas refineries as well. But it just it showed how the, the supply chain and the, and the distribution chain from a refinery actually builds communities with real economic value. No offense, Subway, but versus like a Subway, you know, Subway restaurant. Uh, second second part of that question, or second statement, I guess, is, uh, uh, Bill, I think you mentioned, or William, I think you mentioned dry gas. Is the, is the, Excuse my naivete, my na- na- naivete, but uh, is the Marcellus a dry gas play? And, and I'll jump in here and George can add into it. I think it goes back to even how we started this whole interview when you were saying I thought of Marcellus, you know, more of Ohio and West Virginia. Uh, the Marcellus is two distinct plays. In the Northeast, where Cabot operates, is dry natural gas. So that's essentially pure methane. So think of that for uh, anything dealing with a burner tip, heating, electricity generation, transportation vehicles. In the southwest part of Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, they have wet gas, which oh. is propane, butane, ethane. Uh, so it's not anything to do with water. It's just a term that we use to define other uh, value-added products that come out of the same hole in the ground. And many people don't realize propane, butane, and ethane are the feedstocks for many of those plastic products George were talking about. So in addition to propane for gas grills and butane being in lighters, those two derivatives and ethane are used every single day around the world to make plastics. And and that just really shows the the complexity and the diversity, really, when you're talking about the oil and gas industry. Uh, you know, not to name drop, we had John Gibson, the uh, former CEO and chairman of One Oak on our program, and he that was the first time I had ever heard the difference between wet gas and dry gas. But down in Texas, they have more dry gas, and up in the Bakken, where they've got a lot of activity, it's, it's wet gas. And it's for those reasons you just named, you know, the different feedstocks. And so that, it's like you have to tackle it as two different companies. You know, you'd think that a natural gas company could probably overlap, but if you're talking about one's a wet gas play and the other one's a dry gas play, my guess is, is they'd be like two different 
totally two different, I guess, angles. I don't know. I guess, do they overlap? (laughs) Jason, you you are absolutely correct. You have to look at them as two separate feedstocks. And if you're in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania from an economic development standpoint, you should be jumping up and down saying, not only in western Pennsylvania do I have the wet gas, and we can do things with that, over here on the eastern side, we've got dry gas. We're pipeline ready. Like We come out of the ground and we can go straight into an interstate pipeline. We go straight to electric generating facilities from Cabot. And when you think about that, you've got the feedstocks to produce the PPE and the lowest cost electricity prices all fueled by natural gas. So again, you're correct. You got to look at it from a company as two separate things. But what we get excited about is the opportunity for those in economic development to really market our commonwealth, the state of Pennsylvania, in such a way that we have both. Move your facility here. Do it to Bill's point. The best, tightest regulations that we have, put your facility here, and within a day's drive, you've got Boston, New York, Philadelphia, D.C., <laughs> down Are you guys still working on that Act 66? Do you need any assistance? Just talk to me about, you know, the, it, we're, we're, we're in a new, you know, a new day and age where the uh, regulations and, le- and, and legislative sessions seem to really kind of dictate more than the oil prices these days. The, the best news on that end, Jason, is Bill's point. The General Assembly passed it in the law. So it is now on the books in Pennsylvania. The thing that you can do through your podcast, your outreach, is making certain that companies looking to utilize natural gas know that they have a home in Pennsylvania. This is the piece that we really do need to sort of scream from the mountaintops. Look at the parameters. To Bill's point, there's no money given up front. you got to spend $400 million dollars But on the back side, when it comes to your financing, you know what you're going to be able to book as a savings as it relates to the tax savings on the back side of this. Again, that's one of the reasons that we really want people to be aware of the existence of Act 66. It's the law of Pennsylvania, but now we've got to get more companies to be thinking, hey, I need to locate my facility in Pennsylvania. Yeah, and I'll just add off of what George was saying there. The beauty of it is it's already passed. It's ready to be used. The legislature in their in their foresight has the tax credit officially starting to take place in 2025, which gives companies enough lead time to build a facility and get it operational to take full advantage of that tax credit. But the biggest thing is just promotion of it. Uh, prior to this tax credit being passed, Pennsylvania was looked at as a high-tax state, a high-regulation state, and a high-cost-of-labor state. Well, the reality is now this tax credit, Act 66, uh, equalizes us with Ohio, West Virginia, and Texas. It, uh, it takes away some of those intrinsic benefits those other states have, and it allows us to focus on the really good benefits we have here, prolific, abundant, affordable, accessible natural gas and energy, but we have a ready-made workforce we have a infrastructure system that is not nearly close to capacity. We have old rail systems that are ready to be, uh, you know, uh, utilized. We have ports in Philadelphia that can move products around the world. So what I'm getting at is all of the benefits of the Gulf Coast 
can be found here in Pennsylvania, and they are here now. So let's take a real good look at diversifying where those companies build and operate. Let's land some of those projects here. And while we're doing it, just to you know, give a nod to the to the environmentalists and the people that do criticize the work that George and I do, is let's also look simultaneously at the other opportunities to employ solar and wind at these facilities. Maybe carbon capture. Carbon capture. Hydrogen. I mean, the, we could spend two more hours talking about the merits of how those projects work when natural gas is used as a partner, not vilified as the reason to, to, to go 100% over to that side. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you guys back on, that's for sure. I mean, I, I've, I've got a couple more questions, but I'm looking at the, at the clock today, and so we're going to have to have you guys back. Like uh, One question I'll let you guys think about for next time is uh, the former head of FERC, uh, Federal uh, is it Energy Regulatory Energy Commission? Regulatory Commission. Yeah, Tony yes. Clark. Um, he's you know he's he, I went to high school with him, so I you know I've I've known him for a long time and went fishing with him for crying out loud. And so he was uh, on the program a number of times, and he'd always say, Jason, natural gas is not only the foundation of the future, but it's also the wild card. And I always thought that was such an interesting way to look at it because it's true. Is that there's there's no matter how you slice and dice it, no matter how much fear mongering you want to attack, no matter how many how much uh, press Tesla gets, it ain't going anywhere without natural gas. America, Absolutely. the the planet, the globe ain't going anywhere without natural gas. From the plastics that we need for our PPE to the to the rubber and tires that that Tesla wants to drive with his with his EVB cars to his big old battery plant in, in uh, Nevada, which 90% of it's powered by natural gas, by the way. But then it's a wild card, and the wild card's interesting because it's going to get used in a lot of different ways. It's going to be used for pros and cons and everything else, and, and that, that's where I find it really interesting. So um, I look forward to the conversations, guys. I think this is uh, what you guys have going on is fantastic. You're, we talked a lot about the Marcellus and the Utica and the East Coast today, but you mentioned... You guys have other locations, so kind of uh, give us a little bit of a recap of Cabot Oil. You got you mentioned Houston, you're headquartered out of. So if you guys are in any other plays or anything like that, the benefit, Jason, is we're all in on the Marcellus. We we understand the strength of the Marcellus, so we end up selling out of Midcon. We're out of Colorado. We're out of uh, uh, Texas, and we double down, put all those dollars into Pennsylvania into the Marcellus. So we really see, we're bullish on what we see ahead of ourselves here, understanding how close we are to people, the electric generation side, the opportunity for petrochemicals. So uh, again, I can't thank you enough for having us on this show. I'll throw this out past you also. Next time we get on next month, I'd love to talk about innovation and technology. Because again, I think it's something that gets overlooked in our industry because we evolve so fast, it's, you got to stop at times and look back and think, man, I can't believe we've done all that. And I think it would make a fast show next time. I, I can't wait. In fact, I'll even fold in Stephas out of the Bakken. There, you, you mentioned uh, PMJ earlier, and they're doing a lot with them. And, you know, you talk about innovation. Well, it, it all goes back to the grid. And if you guys got this working relationship to help the people understand exactly how the light switch works, man, I'm all for it because we, we, we need to educate the people. Here's my fear, guys, is that 
what is happening right now in the bigger conversation is what happened to the farmers is that the grocery store took out the farmers where everybody thought, oh, who needs farmers? We'll just go to the grocery store to get our food. And that's what's happening to the energy worker, that the light switch is replacing them, where the average person doesn't even understand that you need an industry to power the light switch. So I appreciate you guys coming on to help educate. You know what I'm saying? We, we would gladly <laughs> welcome that opportunity because, to your point, there is a manufacturing, an agricultural, and an energy illiteracy in the U.S. of A. that we're focused on trying to fix because, to your point, your, your meat doesn't come from Walmart. Your power doesn't come from the light switch. It has to be manufactured. So absolutely appreciate that opportunity to spend more time talking about this. 